Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hey guys, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. This is episode number 94. I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, This is going to be a solo podcast today. I'm going to answer a few questions that I got. Um, We do have some guest episodes in the bank that uh, will be released at some stage over the next weeks and months, but I just said I'd do a solo one today. Uh, I have some decent questions that hopefully I can provide some kind of answer or some kind of value to. I will maybe give those a read now just to let you know what uh, you're getting yourself in for so you can change episodes or change podcasts if you want to, if you're not interested. And then I'll just give you a little bit of a life uh, update, (laughs) a brief one. Um, So one question is going to be, if you had to do a PhD on one topic, what would it be? Another question, your thoughts on active versus passive range of motion. If there's a discrepancy between them, how important it is, do you think it is to bridge the gap, blah, blah, blah. And then another one is, as a young clinician, I'm working on my communication and trying to be empathetic towards my clients, but sometimes I feel like they are walking all over me and blah, 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 blah. So I'll, I'll try and any advice on that. I'll try and answer that. Um, Life-wise, we are, we're in the middle of still, I don't know if I mentioned it previously, but we're in the middle of uh, renovating our new premises. Uh, when I say we, it's mostly me and I'm terrible uh, at doing stuff. So I have my cousin who's quite handy and he's kind of meeting me after work most days and we're doing a little bit of work there. It, the premises had a lot to be done with it to get it back to like um, starting point, if you want to call it that. We had to knock walls and make sure we cleaned out stuff and stuff like that. So like it was like it was it's basically been a full month just to get it to back to an empty shell. And yeah, I'm I, I wish we had have bought a premises, to be honest. I really wish we had have bought one, but there's just nothing available at the moment and we need it somewhere and we've signed a four year lease on it. And if that, if that four-year lease, if we're in this place for four years or, or longer, and it does what I want it to do, I'll be I'll be delighted with it. Uh, it won't be it won't be an issue. But I would still consider buying a premises in the meantime. That maybe I could lease out to someone else, and um, potentially then move in when our lease is up or something like that maybe the opportunity to buy this premises will come up. I don't know. Uh, but it is a little bit, it's kind of, it's kind of, a, maybe it's the Irishness in me. In in Ireland, we we really don't like renting in Ireland. We like buying stuff. We have like old movies about, all. a lot of our old movies, like if you ever watched The Field or anything like that, there's literally one of our most famous Irish movies is about a farmer who's re- leasing a field and, he ends up, the whole movie is about like the, the an American comes in and buys that field and takes it off and basically and there's a huge row and people end up dying and stuff like that over a field. So that is a very common story. Farmers killing each other, bro- brothers killing each other over fields and stuff like that. I'm not saying I'm going to kill anyone, but I think in Ireland there's a deep rooted, maybe it's because of, um, maybe it's because of the for for any of you English people listening, maybe it's because you came in and stuck and stole our land for so many so many years that we feel like we need to own what we uh where we are. But yeah, maybe that it's that Irishness in me that I feel like I'm kind of throwing away money a little bit by renting the place, and it it's a little bit of a 
it's a little bit of a kind of a uh, takes the gloss off having a new premises when you're putting money into a place and it, you know that like eventually someone else is going to benefit from the, the work that you're doing uh, in, in the premises. And I would put in any amount of money into our premises if I could have had it, uh, if it would be our place for good. But at the moment, that's not going to be the case. So it's kind of a, it's a bittersweet at the moment. Uh, but I didn't have the foresight to buy somewhere I should have been looking over the last year and I wasn't. And then it came to the the time where, okay, actually we need a new place and now we don't have a lot of time. And now there's only one or two little things available to to rent. So that's what we, that's what we've done. It's cool thinking about like what it can turn into though, I guess it's cool thinking about like equipment that we can get and uh, how we can build up our in coaching, our in-person coaching side of things. I want to maybe get a youth athletic development group in that I can work on, work with. I want to get a hire an SSC coach that I can work with so we can do more in-person work and online work. I want to get um, more in-person intensives where people come over to us for a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever at a time and, and do rehab. I've done that with people in the past with athletes in the past but this will make it um even more accessible hopefully and even better so uh that would be exciting uh so that's the that's the premises we have potentially gone sale agreed on a house but i'm not counting any chickens nothing has hatched yet there so uh to be decided to be confirmed on that one so we'll we'll wait and see there so uh that's the house um but my for now my office is still in my small little house uh if you're watching on youtube if we still upload these on youtube you can see the christmas tree beside me here and um yeah the cool one cool thing that i noticed yesterday with djr interactive was that i have been saying for about 10 months now that we've been we are at 800 coaches and therapists on there and I said to Kira the other day, I was like, is this, is that number right? Because I've been saying that and I've been seeing that number like for a year now, 800, 800, 800. January, two years ago, I, we were at 200 and I said, right, my goal for this year is to get it from 200 to 1,000 members. And I pushed a lot on, on the membership site that year. I put on a, put up so much great content that's all, all still there to view, by the way. But I pushed a lot. I pushed, I pushed, I pushed. And we didn't hit that goal. We got to 800 members. And even to be honest, it was a lofty goal. It was like a goal that I didn't I didn't even think we could get anywhere near achieving. But I just said it to, because I like torturing myself. And we got to 800. And then I kind of took my foot off the pedal. And I was happy with that. And I haven't been really trying hard to grow it anymore. And I just wanted to see kind of our, like we do run ads and stuff, but I haven't pushed it that hard. And I just wanted to see organically what would happen. And it's stuck at 800 for the last year. And then I, I said to Kira, is this right? I need to do a deep dive on these numbers and see exactly what's going on here. Turns out we actually do have just under a thousand members. And I wasn't counting our, 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 um, our uh, platform wasn't actually counting a certain number of members that had signed up for yearly subscriptions. So we have basically hit a thousand members there on our membership platform, which is a goal that I set two years ago. So that's a pretty cool one. And that is, that is something that I, that is really cool to me to think about. Like there's a thousand coaches and therapists out there that 
are committing to doing their education with us on a monthly basis or a yearly basis and they're watching all the videos on there or some of the videos on there they're committing some time every single week to watching stuff there and sometimes you can get bogged down with like are people commenting on my instagram posts are people liking and sharing posts and stuff like that and sometimes i think about that as well but ultimately now i think now not now but ultimately like the proof is in the pudding kind of a thing which is our our message is resonating because there's a thousand people there that are happy to uh to actually put their hand in their pocket and say yes this education is worthwhile for me and it doesn't matter as much if they don't leave a comment on an instagram post with a fire emoji let's say so the proof is in the pudding there so that's just something i that i wanted to mention i also wanted to mention i have I have notes down on my sheet for like my intro. So one is uh, the premises, one is the house, one is uh, DJ Interactive members, and then one is grumpy because I wanted to say in my last solo podcast, I think I answered a question or I can't remember, uh, but it's been bugging me ever since. I haven't listened back, but I said something like that other podcasts are very negative and it's been bugging me since I said that because it's wrong of me to say that. And I don't know exactly how I said it. I don't mean, I don't think I meant that other podcasts are just that all other podcasts are negative. I think it maybe it just came out like that if it did come out like that. So I want to apologize to all of you guys who obviously listen to probably loads of podcasts in the industry and really enjoy them. And there's, I've listened to loads of podcasts over the years and really enjoyed them. And it's it's kind of a it kind of shows you the the frame of mind I was in on that day that I said like other podcasts are negative, but in fact, as I was saying that, that's me being negative on my podcast. So yeah, I, I just wanted to, for some reason, just that one thing has been bugging me for a month now, and I wanted to say I wanted to say I'm I'm sorry. And there's loads of really good podcasts out there. And I'm sure you guys listen to loads of really good podcasts. And I'm sure some of you listening have podcasts of your own. And when you heard that, you were probably like, what the hell is he saying? So apologies for that. And grumpy was my note there. I don't want to be grumpy. I think this time last year, coming up to Christmas, if you if any of you listen to the podcast that I did with Larry Doyle, I did an in-person podcast this time last year. It was one of our it was one of our most popular podcasts. People absolutely loved it. Larry is absolutely brilliant. So you should go listen to that episode. I don't know what number it was, but if you look in around December last year, you'll see it. And yeah, I was in a very negative frame of mind around then as well. So for something something towards the end of the year gets me like that for some reason even though I love Christmas I don't know why that happens but some I think it's when I finish my workshops I stop I stop teaching workshops and maybe I get a chance to reflect a little bit and I don't know maybe I'm just hard on myself or maybe I'm hard on the industry or something like that and I get negative around <laughs> the middle of December for some reason but uh hopefully a couple of weeks over Christmas will give me a chance to relax and actually I'm just in a better frame of mind already so depending on when you listen to one of my podcasts you could get very different answers to me from questions just like anyone you could get different answers depending on the day that you ask it so always take anything that I say with a pinch of salt because if you ask me something on another day I could give you another answer that could be completely different uh, to whatever I've answered so 
I just wanted to say that and I feel better now that I've said that there's lots of great podcasts out there and you should listen to whatever ones you enjoy the most here's Kira coming in the door this is the problem with me doing a podcast now she's going to come in are you going to stay in no where are you going to go the toilet and then okay um Kira just got her what week scan did you do get 29 and everything is good the baby is turned sideways um but the doctor doesn't seem to, to think that that's a, a big deal or anything like that it's just that she's getting some kicks in the side of her belly now instead um but oh or they will write themselves when uh when when they're coming out uh, you might have to bleep out the gender kira on this podcast will you be able to do that okay cool um uh, okay, so first question. Um, if you had to do a PhD on one topic, what would it be? I don't know. Um, it's a nice question to think about. If I had to do, if I had to spend four years potentially on one topic in this industry, what would I think about? I have three potential answers. One would be on something in the chronic pain world, but which is very interesting to me. Uh, but I think I could end up losing the plot altogether if I dived into that. And you could potentially come away after maybe four years and not have learned anything, uh, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. Like you could have learned how co- even more how complex that world is. But I think it could drive me insane. Uh, so I think I probably wouldn't do that. I, I, I actually almost certainly wouldn't do that. Uh, I think it would drive me insane, although it could be a really nice topic to dive into. Now, obviously, you'd have to niche down in that world, but I don't think anything in that world would be would be right for me to dive into because it would drive me insane. The second one would be in a specific, a specific injury, uh, kind of the rehab of a specific injury. And this would be a, a mix, miss and ma- mix... <laughs> uh, Sorry, Kira's packing the fridge and she's distracting me. Um, this would be a, kind of a business decision if I was doing that because I would. you could potentially study Achilles tendinopathy or Achilles ruptures or uh, shin splints or tibialis posterior tendinopathy or hip impingement or something like that. And I think I would, one, have be really interested in studying a specific injury or ACL or whatever it'd be really nice to like dive really 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 deep into a very specific injury or pathology or kind of uh, ongoing pain or something like that um, it, it, within a specific area uh, that would be very interesting to me and it would be something that I would leverage the crap out of business-wise I think I think you don't need a PhD to do, to do this. I think you could just like, let's say the knees over toes guy has done on Instagram or on his, uh, just his, his business in general, he has leveraged the being the guy that pushes the knees over toes. Now I wouldn't try and go like as niche as niche as that, but I would try and go very much like, okay, I am the guy, the, the one guy in the world or one of the guys in the world that does this specific thing. And obviously a PhD would be able to back that up and give you a lot of authority. And I would probably, I think that would be a way of building a huge business off the back of that. So ACL could be one that would be 
easy enough to do it very interesting to do there would be lots of uh potential participants to study and you could build a humongous business off the back of that and just be the the acl guy the achilles guy the calf guy the whatever i think it could be huge um so that's probably the one that i would do but the one that i would be most interested in and the one that i think is the is it like a, a huge frontier that's really yet to be uh, not not yet to be studied but there's so much left to learn in this industry when it comes to coordination that would be the one that i would probably be most interested in but wouldn't be able to leverage as much off business wise because it's a little bit more vague let's say so coordination intra intermuscular kind of full body coordination uh including you know like how the fascia is working transferring energy all of that stuff i think we don't know a lot about that i think franz bosch has done really 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 good work on that side of things i think john kiley has done some really really good work i really i'm a big fan of both of those guys and i think um when we talk about let's say like if you think about phd wise like if you could be talking about like doing a phd on acceleration or maximal speed or strength or plyometrics or i don't know like pick pick a topic let's say like how much are you really going to learn on that stuff in terms of like there's we know so much about that stuff already nothing there's not that much new in any of those worlds a lot of good stuff has already been spoken about for a long time in all of those worlds and of course there's like always better explanations coming out but i think the explanations we have regarding those things are already pretty good but i think there's something that underpins all of those things which is coordination that we when we speak about that it's quite vague and when we speak about like there's still people that are trying to pin a quality like okay you just need to get stronger you just need to get faster you just need to uh get stronger so that you can get faster get stronger so that you can jump higher and that can be the case but i would like to know more about like why does that transfer over or why does it maybe not transfer over what are the underlying um coordinative changes that are happening or not happening that are maybe having a positive or negative transfer to training so i think coordination is like i think I think it's one of the last biggest big frontiers that we need to really delve into. And to be honest, if you ask anyone in the industry to talk, or not anyone, a lot of people in the industry to talk about coordination, you'll get so many different weird uh, esoteric answers and no one re really can pin it down or not too many people can pin it down what it actually means. I think everyone knows when they see something that's coordinated or when they see something that's not coordinated, but they can't describe it particularly well, I don't think. So coordination would be the thing that I would like to study. Now, obviously, you'd have to try and go a bit more niche than that and, and narrow it down a little bit more. But probably that would be the thing that I would be most interested in. But the thing that I would probably do from a, 
I'm really interested and I think I can, I can leverage business wise would be a specific a specific injury, something like ACL or something like that. Um, so hopefully that answers that question. Sorry, I got mixed up in the middle of it. Um, hey guys, David here. Just a quick FYI to let you know that Lower Body Basics Phase 2 has been re-released and it's available to buy. It hasn't been available all year. It's been completely off the market. So I polished it up. I rewrote it. I included a lot more hinge work. And these kind of hinge sequences that I do with my clients where there's like a strict hinge followed by uh, kind of a few more dynamic hingey type of movements. And all those combined will help you really open up and load up your glute max, your glute med, your glute min. Uh, or I just like to think about it as like your posterior hip and your posterior lateral and then your lateral hip. So lower body basics that's not the only thing obviously in there but it's just one part of it and we've gotten some really good feedback for that already so lower body basics i'll put the first our phase two i'll put the first uh link in the show notes for that program within about three clicks you'll own it and you'll have lifetime access and you'll have it forever so go and get it today because it won't it won't stay on the market forever so check out lbb2 okay second question your thoughts on active versus passive range of motion. If there's a discrepancy between them, how important do you think it is to bridge that gap? It is one of the big concepts in FRC. So active versus passive range of motion, you'll often see it measured, let's say, roughly measured, let's say, okay, um, how to describe it, uh, let's say you're lying on your back, I bring, as a clinician, I bring your hip into internal rotation where you're completely passive and you're completely relaxed and I, I bring you into hip internal rotation and I measure okay you have 45 degrees of passive hip internal rotation when I do it for you and now you, I bring you back to neutral I let go and you say uh, I say to you okay now you go as far as you can uh, using your own muscles and you can get to 13 degree or 30 degrees sorry so actively you can access 30 degrees uh, active range of motion in hip internal rotation and this applies to every joint passively you can access uh, 45 degrees of internal rotation so there's a discrepancy there of about 15 degrees where people would say okay you don't actually have uh, you don't actually have strength in the, that 15 degrees to access that range of motion and some people would say that that's uh, potentially a factor in what could cause injury because you can't you have range that you don't have control over that's a huge thing in frc in the frc world i think there's value to that thought process i think that there's also a lot of uh crap and a lot of voodoo and a lot of like salesmanship with that thought process that isn't actually valuable so of course it depends um and i don't just mean like frc this is this is a concept that has been around for a, a long time kind of active versus passive but they've really popularized it and some of that has been quite good i think some of it not so good but that might not necessarily be their fault it might be the people that are uh using it maybe have misinterpreted or whatever i don't know but let's for, first of all i would say when you see you see a lot of people online using this as a as a sales pitch to their clients so or to yeah to people because i lie you on your back okay you have 45 degrees you only have strength to bring you to 30 degrees so there's 15 degrees there and they will use that as a way to explain like here's why you're getting issues 
you own you have all this range and you can only control this amount of range so obviously you're going to have problems i don't think that's a like a one plus one equals two to be honest like some people make it out to be oh you clearly have these issues because you just can't access you don't have control over that range i'm not so sure about that um and also i will say on the testing side of things i think i see so often sloppy testing that um i see so often that like when you do it passively actually you don't know how to test well you are going into internal or external rotation or whatever it is and actually you're bringing them past their range of motion and you don't understand that you're not moving their hip anymore now you're moving their pelvis so of course it looks like they have 45 degrees but actually you have been very sloppy with your testing and maybe they had 35 degrees and you pushed them past the extra 10 because you wanted there to be a bigger discrepancy i have seen that a lot and that does kind of frustrate me but it is a great way of selling something to a client because they won't really notice it uh they definitely won't notice it most coaches or clinicians won't actually notice that so that's one thing i think the testing can be sloppy the second thing is um when you see people or if or if you ask if you bring them out to 45 degrees and you ask them right i'm gonna let go you hold it there and they kind of lose it and they fall back 15 degrees they lose 10 degrees or five degrees i think you have to understand how we access our ranges of motion in life. So doing something on a table is not the same as how we move through the world. And I'll try and there's so much I can say here. So it's it's apologies if I'm jumping around the place a little bit. But if you say to, to, a, to a tennis player, okay, I'm going to lie you on your back. I'm going to bring you out into internal rotation. There's your active versus your passive. Your, there's the discrepancy. How, and so they'll say, okay, you're, you could potentially get injured if you access this range because you're not strong there. But that doesn't really account for how they would access that range if they were in a sport. How we would access that range if we were standing up on our feet would be by lengthening tissue more. So it would it would be about it wouldn't be like if you were asking someone to lie on their back and bring their own leg out into internal rotation, they are going from a very passive position where they're just lying on their back there there and and you're asking them to like shorten tissues and leverage tissues that can pull you into internal rotation, but actually you haven't got any length through tissues that would help stabilize you there along the way or would help pick up leverage there on the way so the difference between lying on your back and getting into 30 degrees of internal rotation versus um doing it in a squatting motion or versus doing it in a in a change of direction motion that's a huge difference because as i load in and change direction and let's say something happens and i kind of i'm pushed into a position muscles are lengthening along the way and there's going to be a lot more pretension in those muscles so it's not that i'm not strong in those positions when when i'm lying on my back yeah maybe i'm not strong there but that doesn't mean i can't express strength or muscular control there because when i actually move through the world i have an amount of pretension in those muscles and I have an amount of eccentric loading that actually puts those muscles into a more optimal length tension relationship to now do work. So I think that that's the crux of the issue is measuring things lying on your back 
um, where there's no pretensioning, no eccentric loading is not the same as measuring things um, when you're changing direction or sprinting or going down into a squat or any of these things. So I don't think it's accurate to say you don't have the strength to control these ranges. I think it's more accurate to say you don't have the strength to control these ranging ranges when you're lying on your back or when you're in an open chain position. But if your foot is on the floor and you're doing a change of direction or something like that, or a million other things, you would have uh, got some eccentric loading. You would have got some pretension, and you would have um, you would have more strength in those positions because how you access the position is different than just lying on your back and doing it. This does lead you to another point, though which is the, if you think about the creator of FRC, a very brilliant guy, I think a very smart guy. Now that doesn't mean I think he's right about everything. Uh, I don't, but I do think, I do appreciate that he's a very smart guy and he has a very good thought process behind things, whether it's some of it is right or wrong or whatever. I think we can, I think we can not be a hater, like just automatically, be called a hater or something like that it just because you maybe disagree with some of the con- concepts or don't fully agree with some of the concepts but if you think about his background and i've probably spoken about this on the podcast before he's a jiu-jitsu guy, guy as far as i can see and so there is so much of going going to be open chain end range positions at the shoulders and the hips and the knees and stuff like that so i can absolutely see his point of view where having all of this control and, and being able to build a lot of tension, a lot of strength in your very end ranges in an open chain position would be valuable because effectively, if you're doing jujitsu, someone is going to try and put you into that position and you need to be strong there. So it's almost, it's, it's almost, it might actually be perfect in that instance to to do that type of training where you're trying to bridge that gap. I can also see if you have someone who's quite hypermobile, um, why it might be valuable to get people into their end ranges and start to build a ton of strength there. So I can definitely see from that point of view um, why why that might be valuable. But for those hypermobile people, I think personally i think they need to build more strength through the mid ranges to be honest um uh, they do need to build strength at the end ranges but i think there's too much emphasis on the end ranges for hyper mobile people i think where they make their money uh a lot of the time is building a ton of strength in the mid ranges and i think where things go wrong for them is in the in the more mid ranges they lose tension and they lose control and then they move with speed into the end range and when they get there it's too late so i do think yes strengthening some of the end ranges for hypermobile people and bridging that gap between passive and active range of motion is very valuable but my emphasis would be on building strength and control and um, learn, teaching them to pre-tension before they get to those end ranges. I think that's what would be very valuable. Um, the other time then kind of passive versus active range of motion is after an injury. It's very it's very useful to, to think about this. I, I think after an injury, let's take an ACL client, an ACL reconstruction or something like that. Let's say that they had a hamstring graft. And if you ever look at your uh acl clients that have had a hamstring graft they will be very very weak because they're actually missing a bit of hamstring obviously they would be very weak in uh 
yes, outer range, like in a more knee extended positions where the hamstring needs to be strong, but more so in inner range knee flexion. So more uh, deeper degrees of knee flexion where they have to do, where they need the hamstring to be strong there, they will be incredibly weak. You'll see like 50 to 70 to 80% deficits side versus side. Um, So that's where I think, yes, okay, we've restored full range knee flexion, but actually I can like I can bring your heel all the way to your butt and touch your butt with your with your heel. Excellent. We've restored passive range knee flexion. That is a massive tick that we need to get uh, for an ACL client. And obviously uh, a knee extension as well, full range knee extension. So massive tick there. But in in knee flexion, if you ever measure that, like, I mean, actually measure that, get proper testing done, you'll see huge deficits in the unaffected side versus the affected side in how strong they are closer in, in middle and end range knee flexion through the hamstring, if, if particularly if they've got a hamstring graft. And in that instance, you definitely want to strengthen it up because it's not just this phantom measurement that you're taking where no one is ever good like no athlete no person is ever good in their end ranges to be honest they'll cramp up that's not any that's not a that's not just a good reason to say okay this is your to cause your problems and we need to strengthen your end ranges because you're shit on both sides and everyone is shit in their end ranges because it's just it's about length tension relationships so just not having that much strength in your very end ranges lying on your back or lying on your front isn't just the greatest reason ever to do it to do that work but when you're when you've had a specific injury and now you're fifty percent weaker than you are on your unaffected side, that is a really good reason to do that specific work. Uh, so that's where I think that active versus passive versus passive range of motion is very very valuable and trying to strengthen that uh, a specific range towards the end range can be very very valuable and it can be very tricky to bring up that strength. Uh, but let's let's stick with an ACL client like if you have someone that's had an ACL reconstruction they're getting knee pain like medial or lateral knee pain and you do testing and the quads are looking pretty good um rate of force development is pretty good like reactive strength is pretty good and they're still getting knee pain I not I bet you but there's but it's definitely worthwhile looking into um hamstring strength in more knee flexion and I would be surprised if they got a hamstring graft, if that was any good at all. If you didn't, if you didn't already train that a lot, it will be absolutely crap. It will, there will be a deficit of at least 30%, maybe 50%. And if you look at the anatomy of the hamstrings, how they kind of, I, I think about them like wrapping around that knee. And if you look closely at the anatomy, like you can see how important those those distal hamstrings can be for transferring force kind of for firstly stabilizing the knee and transferring force like through the knee not having kind of wobble there and if our our medial or lateral forces there and are and if they're not strong and they're not maybe reactive and uh doing a really good job then i can you can potentially see how a medial or lateral knee could get aggravated because those tissues and they're like there is a decent bit of tissue there they should be doing a really good job so i think to summarize all of what i've just said there i think there's too much emphasis placed on active versus passive range of motion in the frc world um 
in terms of like thinking that someone isn't strong there just because you tested them lying on their back I think that is a um, you're not understanding how length tension relationships work how we pick up slack and take slack out of muscles when we lengthen that's not to say it's not valuable it's definitely valuable in martial arts it's definitely valuable in all sports potentially if um if people are entering end ranges it's definitely helpful but it's not it's not as clear cut i would say as the explanation that is being given which is you're just not strong there well it this is an open chain situation that you're assessing and that does not mean that when i get into my foot being on the floor that does not mean that the length tension relationships are the same and that i haven't taken slack out of the muscle and now i can actually um access that because when if we stick with the internal rotation example when i access internal rotation when my foot is in the floor i'm going to be lengthening a lot of tissue and building a and and taking a lot of slack out of all of the tissues around the the hip muscles or a lot of the tissues around the hip joint so there's going to be a lot more tissues now that can assist me in that end range also, I will say, if you look at people when, let, let's say, again, internal rotation, you're lying on your back, and I ask you to bring yourself out to end range internal rotation, everyone cramps in their TFL, and it's because they're doing funny things to try and get it there, because it's just not a, they're, they're I, I can't even explain it well, to be honest, it's just, yeah, they're, they're just cramped through their TFL, which is such a small muscle to use as an internal rotator because they're trying to compensate because it's such a foreign movement to them. It's so foreign and you can you can test something that's so foreign and so novel and people will be weak there. That And when I say weak there, I mean literally weak, just there, not not always in their end range but just in that one position that you've put them in and tested them in and that's a great sales pitch for a client but it doesn't mean it's particularly always the most the most helpful thing so hopefully that's a relatively fair appraisal not perfect because it's probably a long conversation and i've probably skipped over things and not given a a fully rounded answer there but hopefully it gives people at least a little bit to think about and um yeah Okay, so last question. As a young clinician, I, I'm i working on my communication a lot and trying to be empathetic towards my clients, but sometimes I feel like they're walking all over me and telling me what treatments they want versus me actually giving them what I think they need. Any advice? So I know, um, I know the person that this question came from. Kind of know them. So... I think it's a tricky one. If you're saying you're a young clinician, that's a good thing because that just means you're relatively inexperienced. And so to improve in this regard, you don't need to maybe get advice from me or from anyone else. You you probably, what's going to help you improve is just, even the fact that you're asking that question means you're aware of it. And then just being aware of it and practicing and getting more experience and reps under your belt, you're going to improve. It's good that you're practicing and working on your communication. You're trying to be, you're trying to have empathy with your clients, but you feel like then they're like you feel like it it sounds like you feel like you're putting them in a situation where they're the boss like they're telling you what you want because you're trying to be very nicey nicey 
and uh, I could tell you from experience I don't think that works that well and I think um, you really want to be the authority in the situation you want to you really really want to be the authority and that doesn't mean that you have a huge ego that doesn't mean that you're like abrasive or brash or anything like that but it does mean that they have respect for you and they are coming to you as the authority just like um and this isn't an exactly perfect analogy but like if a plumber came into my house i would i would i would speak to them and say here's the issues i'm having blah 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 but ultimately i would be looking to take their advice on board and and uh looking at them as an authority not myself but often when people go into a clinician or a therapist they are telling you what they want and and what they think they need which is absolutely fine because it's not we're not we're not our bodies we're not plumbers it's not as like clear cut as that but you should still have a level of of authority in the relationship which is you're the experienced one you're the person who has dealt with hundreds or dozens maybe in your instance or hundreds or thousands of cases like this now every case is different but you have experience of working with thousands of people like this potentially they only have experience with their own body so you have much more experience to call on when it comes to a case or an issue like this and they need to respect that you know what you're talking about but maybe they don't and I don't think it's because you're being empathetic or it's because you're working on your communication. That's not why it's happening because I try and be very empathetic. I try and chat to my clients a lot, but I don't feel like they're walking all over me. I feel like I have authority in the situation in a good way. Like we're a team, but I still feel like I'm, I'm, they're still coming to me for advice and I will take their opinion on board, but ultimately uh, I'm going to give them my honest appraisal of the situation or mostly honest appraisal. Sometimes you can't be completely honest. So I think Napoleon had a phrase uh, which was an iron fist in a velvet glove. And I think that's something that I quite like, an iron fist in a velvet glove. I think it's nice to approach your clients like that, where you can be empathetic, you can communicate, you can talk to them, you can take all of their advice on board, but ultimately they need to know, okay, this guy is really nice, he's in my corner, but he has authority iron fist in a velvet glove he has authority on the situation and that authority comes from a few places it comes from number one just your demeanor and having confidence and that doesn't mean you're again it doesn't mean you're being abrasive or egotistical or anything like that but when you speak when it's your turn to speak you need to speak with confidence and authority and I don't mean complete confidence like 100% this is the right thing but I mean confidence in yourself which is what I'm like here is my best here is what I think here is what I think uh, on this situation. I'm not humming and hawing. I'm not saying, I'm not saying 100% this is wor- going to work, but I'm going to say, like, based on my experience, here is what I think. And here's what I think is our next logical step, or our, 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 the right thing to do in this situation is X, Y, and Z. You have authority over the situation. Because what will happen is you'll get blamed either way. Because they, let's say you tell, a runner comes into you, 
you're going to do a bit of a rehab process with them. They've hurt their ankle or their Achilles or their knee or something like that. And for some reason, they need to stop running for, let's say, six weeks. Okay, we've agreed no running for six weeks. And here's how we're going to rehab this issue. And you're going to build it back up, blah, 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 blah. And then they come into you on a Tuesday after three weeks of treatments. This is their fourth week. And they say, I've had a massive flare up. And you will ask them why what happened blah 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 and they'll say well I went for a 10k run over the weekend and they will blame you they will say like your treatment hasn't been working hasn't helped me and actually it it was working the plan was working it's that they deviated from the plan but if you're if you don't have the authority to actually lay out the plan and be very clear with it then they will almost forget anything that happened previous and just say i have pain again this happened again and basically your treatment hasn't been working uh so you need to have the authority in in beforehand to say here is the plan are we in agreement with this we're going to work on this and then when they come back and they have hurt themselves you it's hard to you you can only like to say to them well actually we had a plan and you were the one that deviated from the plan not me so you have to have built that authority before so that you can kind of use your authority when you really need to so if you don't do that you're going to you're right, you're gonna, they're going to walk all over you. They're going to decide when they're ready to run. They're going to decide what type of treatments. They're going to decide um, how, much, how much exercise that they need to do during the week. They're going to decide, no, I'm not going to do uh, that exercise. I'm going to do this one instead, even though, and, and there should be a compromise, but like, it's not a compromise. They're deciding it. So I think iron fist in a velvet glove is a good way of looking at it which is be nice but you got to build authority authority comes from a few places it comes from your demeanor it comes from your confidence which you may not have built a lot of that confidence yet that will come with time and it also comes from you knowing that you don't need that client which is it's like when you go out to um it's, i don't know out to a club or something like that it's that it's that age-old saying which is uh, or that age-old thing which is as soon as you get a girlfriend it feels like you could pull any girl in the bar instantly um, which actually isn't true to be honest let's let's be honest but it feels like that sometimes because and it's probably happened to a lot of people like you couldn't get anyone for so long then you got a girlfriend and now you had all these opportunities and half of that is just because you actually didn't need it that much anymore you weren't like you weren't desperate and that is <laughs> that not being desperate does build authority and it does build confidence and i'm at the stage with clients where i'm not desperate if a client isn't for me um or yeah if, if we don't suit each other then i'm not desperate to keep them i'm not desperate to make sure that they come back for the next session and actually that does build a lot of authority and confidence because they realize well this guy like he actually is he doesn't need me he doesn't need me so i'm i'm going to listen to him if i want to work with him so i think confidence comes with not being des- desperate for clients confidence comes from experience with getting results confidence comes with time and confidence comes with being really good at your job and just knowing like 
I'm I'm very confident in what I'm saying right now. So uh, I'm going to say that with more authority then. So I just, again, just jumped all over the place there. But don't be too hard on yourself if you're only young and you're struggling a little bit with that then it will it will come over time i don't think you need to be too worried so i think that's the end of the pod uh three probably terrible answers or two and a half terrible answers to three questions but hopefully somewhat helpful for people um it's christmas week uh next week uh christmas coming up soon what are we now tuesday 19th of december so we have I have clients for the rest of this week. I'll finish up on Friday. We'll go to my brother's house for Christmas dinner on Monday. I might actually do a podcast next week or later this week to, to upload and release on like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Yeah, why don't you do that? And I'll talk a little bit more about Christmas then and maybe answer some more questions. And then hopefully I'll do a podcast that rounds up the year where... Yeah, I'll do like a New Year's podcast where, I, where I'll talk about some lessons from the year. I think over the last two years, no, I won't look at it now, but over the last two years, I did do podcasts where I spoke about um, kind of a, a yearly review podcast and then like goals and stuff and plans for the year as well, uh, ahead. So, uh, so hopefully I'll have a podcast up next week, which is a Christmas podcast. Maybe I'll do something cool for that. I don't know. And then I'll have a couple of January ones as well, which rounds up the year and then speaks about the following year. So hope that was helpful. Um, let me know if the podcast was or wasn't. Give it a share. That would be helpful. If you haven't written a five-star review yet in Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen, just go in and cl- give it a little click for me. Um, do that as my Christmas present, actually. Um, do one of a few things for Christmas present for me. Will you please leave a five-star review or uh, and or go and su- subscribe on YouTube. That would be really nice. I'm going to start to do a lot more YouTube co- content next year. So go and click subscribe if you haven't there and uh, do a five-star review if you're on Apple or something like that. So please, that would be my Christmas present. And I do mean it. I when, when people say this on podcasts, will you leave a review, blah, blah, blah. It literally just goes over my head. I just don't do it. And I've started to do it over the last year because actually... It's not even that I didn't want to do it or was like, fuck them, I'm not doing that. It was just like, when you hear that part of the podcast, I just tune out. But now if I like a podcast, I've left a review. I've left a five star just even because I know it helps them. So if you do like the podcast, click that. That can be my Christmas present. And apart from that, I hope you enjoyed the pod and I will talk to you guys next week.